0: No matter what organization you lead, finances are paramount for your success. And church finances aren't any different. Poorly managed church finances can hurt a pastor's ability to lead church members and reach the local community. After all, very little will wreck the movement of God more than weak financial policies and workflows. Thankfully, it's much easier to make changes now, before your church is in the headlines, than to try to reestablish those relationships after they've been torpedoed by a costly financial misstep. And that's where our friends at Belay can help. Belay, a modern church staffing organization with fractional U.S.-based accounting and virtual assistant services, has helped busy church leaders do just that for more than a decade. To help you figure out where to start, Belay is offering its resource, Four Costly Financial Mistakes for Churches, to our listeners for free to help you identify the four biggest things we can see wreck churches when it comes to their finances and what you can do to avoid them. Just text Rusty, that's R-U-S-T-Y, to 55123 to get back to growing your church with Belay. Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Well, welcome to episode 241. I'm so glad to have you with us on Leading Simple. Hope you're having a great, great February. Hope you uh, have remembered Valentine's Day. Hope you're uh, just really enjoying uh, this last of the winter months. Uh, For those of us that live in California, we have gotten rid of winter uh, several weeks ago when it stopped raining. Uh, Today, uh, we have been sponsored by Belay Solutions again, and we have been for this entire month and this entire year so far, and we're so grateful to them They do such great work for so many churches, so many leaders, so many businesses at helping you get virtual assistance, helping you get uh, financial uh, help and resources and back-end services for your office. Check out Belay Solutions for more. Uh, Today, wow, we get to have a conversation with a guy that wrote a great resource in helping pastors who are ministering by themselves. I remember being a pastor early on, working at a small, tiny little church in Arkansas, and it was a lonely job. Uh, Just me, uh, driving to houses, meeting with people, having lunches, preaching messages, Uh, it's it's hard work. And there are people that I know that are dear friends that have planted churches, and there were a lot of well-wishers in the beginning, and now they feel like it's just them. What do you do when you are a solo pastor. Well, Gary McIntosh has written a great resource to help out with that. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not necessarily in professional ministry, but you might lead in some capacity where you feel like you're the only one. I think this will be beneficial for you as well. So as always, if you would leave a review for the podcast or share this with somebody that would be hugely encouraging and supportive of the show, really appreciate that. And thanks again to Belay for supporting. But now here's my conversation with Gary McIntosh. Well, Gary McIntosh, thank you so much for joining us. I told our listeners a little bit about you in your bio, but I would love to know specifically, you've written 27 books. I wanna know why you wrote this book, The Solo Pastor. This is a great title and a great concept that needs to be dealt with. What, what brought this to mind for you?
1: Well, thanks, uh, Rusty, for having me on. I really appreciate it. This book has been on my heart and mind for years. Uh, I myself, uh, right after seminary, uh, pastored uh, two different churches, and I was a solo pastor at both of them, at least in the beginning. Uh, Second church grew a little bit, and I was able to get a small staff, but uh, uh, at the beginning of both of the churches, I was uh, a solo pastor. And I was in shock, to tell you the truth, because Uh, I had come from uh, medium-sized churches that always had at least a small staff. And I came to these uh, churches where I was the only pastor uh, pretty much responsible for doing everything (laughs) and beyond uh, what pastors do. And honestly, I I had a a Bible college education. I had a seminary education education. And it had not prepared me to be a solo pastor in a a church. And so my heart has always been for pastors in these uh, churches where they're serving pretty much by themselves. And I just finally uh, decided it was time to write the book and, you know, share some of the things I've learned over the years, not just in my own ministry, but also from many other pastors that I've worked with.
0: Yeah, it is interesting, and we think about you know the rise of the megachurch over the last forty years, and we think about large-sized churches, and we wouldn't you know we often forget that eighty percent of the churches in America are less than two hundred people. So you get down to that level, and there's not a lot of funds for staff, and there are a lot of solo pastors out there, especially church plants that are just getting going. There's some well-meaning volunteers, but. You know, as the pastor, you sometimes feel like you're all alone. Do you feel like some of the challenges you had in the early days of being a solo pastor are some of the same issues faced today by solo pastors, or are there some that are a little bit different?
1: Some of them are the same. Uh, For instance, you mentioned the word lonely. Uh, That really came up as the number one reason that um, uh, people in small churches struggle, the, uh, the pastors. They uh, you know, they really don't have other people around them or really understand what it's like to have pressure on them 24 uh, seven. You can have deacons, you can have elders and they can share the load, there's no doubt about that. But at the same time, they don't seem to take the uh, concerns of the ministry home with them at night. And uh, the pastor does. Uh, so the closest thing to being a solo pastor uh, is probably um, a small business owner uh, who uh, you know, owns their own business and they go home at night and they take all the concerns and worries about the small business home. And right. that's what happens a lot with pastors. And they just uh, have told me over the years they don't, really don't have anybody to talk to who can resonate with them, understand uh, the dynamics uh, you know what they're facing and everything. So, um, you know, loneliness is a a major issue.
0: You know, it's interesting you say that uh, about what we take home with us. Um, I I remember being in Bible college and I loved to write sermons and I would preach at the small little church on the weekends. And I remember thinking, I cannot wait till I'm out of school so I can spend so much more time writing a message. Yeah. and and then you get out of school and you're full time in ministry, and you realize I still have very little time to write a message yeah because there's so much work with people there's so many uh, you know there's crises to deal with and that that idea of bringing it home boy that that really is a, a huge part of it for our listeners, would you explain a little bit of what's going on in the mindset of a pastor? when they get home at night, you know, the unfinished business, the unresolved conflicts, the things that they're having to wrestle with that if you just attend on a Sunday, you're not thinking about, Uh, or even if you're even an elder or deacon, you're probably not thinking about.
1: Certainly, uh, pastors will, you know, have the normal concerns like uh, maybe some of the financial issues the church is going through. Uh, You know, the pastor might mention that to some people, say, on Sunday morning, uh, maybe in the hallway of the church, talk to them. But uh, the people, you know, they, they listen and they, they seem to care. But when they go home, they kind of forget about it. But the pastor goes home thinking, well, you know, we need to, uh, you know, pay the rent or uh, pay our utility bill or whatever it is. And uh, they, they carry that concern, you know, where am I going to get the money? Uh, they also carry the concern of many different people. You know, many times pastors have uh, others who come to them and share their pains, their hurts, uh, maybe struggles they're having in their marriage or with a child, um, and other people in the congregation don't even know about that. They don't know that uh, the pastor is carrying a lot of burdens of some of the other people from the church, and uh, but they are. And they that doesn't go away just because you get in your car and drive five minutes and get out and walk into your house. Uh, mm. uh, you know, I remember in one of my churches, I live literally uh, three blocks away from church, and so I would uh, leave the church. By the time I get home, I'm not ready to be home. I'm not ready to be a, a husband. I'm not ready to be a, a father because I hadn't had enough time to, uh, uh, you know. Uh, uh, deconstruct, I guess, the role of pastor to shift into the role of husband or uh, father. Um, I found over the years that one of the, the things that was helpful to me was when I lived further away from the church because when I would leave the church, I would have that maybe 15, 20 minutes or maybe half an hour uh, to kind of just uh, you know go through mentally, spiritually in my mind and kind of release the stuff at church. So I was ready to be home <laughs> with the family. Uh, but, you know, pastors carry a lot of, of concerns in their hearts and minds, and uh, the congregation doesn't even realize it.
0: No, they don't. Uh, I, I had a, uh, a doctor say to me one time, uh, w- he was talking about how, he said, I assume that when you go out, everybody recognizes you and says hi. And I said, well, you know, that happens sometimes. And he said, you know, I have the same thing and they expect me to know their name. And he said, what I have to, I have to remind them is you only have one doctor, but I have a thousand patients and it's hard to remember all those names. I thought that's a really good way to say it because, it you know, if you stand up on stage and you talk for 30 minutes a week People feel like they really know you, and they feel really close to you, and which is a great thing. Uh, but I don't always know exactly what's going on with them, and then there you feel that weight of oh my gosh, I forgot your name. I'm so sorry, and um, you know just that added burden, and then that desire to try to know everybody and try to take care of everyone. It is a lot of weight, which does if you're a solo pastor, you know there really is that feeling of loneliness and isolation but there's also a feeling of self-doubt. Talk to us a little bit about what a solo pastor feels, and a lot of, any pastor for that matter, feels about self-doubt. Where's that coming from?
1: You asked earlier, uh, are the things that pastors face today similar to what I faced years ago, and uh, I said they are to some extent. But one of the things that I think is uh, more difficult is this whole area of self-doubt, because Hmm. with the internet, Uh, with the rise of the megachurch people in our churches they go home they uh, they listen to podcasts they watch other church services online and so they're exposed to some of the top speakers in uh, America or even the world sometimes they're exposed to some of the uh, most extravagant well-designed and performed worship services and uh they kind of compare uh, their pastor and their church to that uh, you know we can tell them not to compare but they do anyway i mean it's just a natural uh aspect of life that uh, when you're looking at different uh worship services you're going to compare them and so there, there is a lot more pressure on the the pastors today and a lot of Pastors who are solo pastors, they they look around, they see these other pastors who are uh, online and uh, on TV, and they compare themselves to them, and you know they kind of wonder, are they adequate for the job? Are they adequate for, uh, you know, the calling that God has placed on their life? And so it's it's a a lot more pressure than I felt, you know, years ago. Yeah, it is interesting uh, the.
0: The rise of social media, the rise of the internet, um, has certainly been beneficial to pastors because they're able to get their message out there a little bit better. They're able to actually get resources from other churches that will help them out, but their parishioners are able to access those things as well, uh, which, uh, does breed a lot of that compare and contrast. Uh, I've had many people, uh, I, I say many, it's probably only a few, but you know how criticisms are. There are many. Uh, I, I, I've had them stop me in the lobby and ask me if I saw Joel Osteen that morning because uh, he had a great message. Yeah. And I think, well, no, because uh, I was preaching a message, which obviously didn't compare with Joel, but thank you. <laughs> uh, it, it can get uh, a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, You know, so much of our of ministry is investing in people and there's just no pain like when you invest in somebody you feel close to them and then they leave and sometimes they leave for good reasons they moved or whatever but sometimes it's oh, i found a better game down the street or a new hipper younger church moved in or i like the you know the 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 programs this church offers more than yours and they bail on you, and it's really painful. And certainly to a solo pastor, because there's really nobody to lament that with. There's nobody to kind of feel like, well, at least they're with me. What do you say to solo pastors in that situation? How do you encourage them?
1: What you're referring to there is the the sense of loss. And, um, you know, pastors— I think pastoral ministry is a for all pastors is a continuing battle with a sense of loss because, you know, we may do multiple funerals, for instance, and, uh, the people we do them for, you know, they only maybe had one person pass away, but we do maybe three, four five funerals sometimes in a month. Mm. And so we've experienced the loss of three or four or five people, um, and we have to grieve not just one person but multiple people. Uh, the same happens in a church; uh, someone leaves, and uh, you know we have to grieve that loss. But a lot of times, what pastors do is they don't give them freedom; they don't give themselves a freedom to grieve uh, that loss, or maybe they don't have time uh, to grieve that loss. So, um, you know, what I tell pastors is. Uh, you can't stop people from leaving. Uh, you can't control people, at least not in modern-day uh, USA. Uh, people have much freedom to go where they want to go. Uh, so you do the best you can. Uh, you provide the, the best resources and the best ministry that you're able to at this point in your life and the life of the church. Um, and uh, when people leave, do your best to bless them uh and uh, you know in a positive way uh you know you might say to them i hate to see you go but you know if this is better for your family then god bless you uh but behind that then you've got to give yourself some space to grieve Hmm. and the only way to grieve really is to talk to other people about it and so this means having people you can talk to other than your spouse because um Many times we can talk to our spouse, but uh, our spouse can only handle so much, also. And so we need to cultivate some friendships, some relationships outside the church uh, with other pastors, would be good. Um, if we can't find them, sometimes maybe we need to invest in a coach where we, uh, you know, maybe pay someone to. Uh, be with us uh, an hour a month or something just to talk Um, because we need to express the pain and the hurt and the loss. And as we are able to express it, it helps us then uh, to grieve that particular loss. Um, You know, I think we also have to constantly remind ourselves that this is God's church and that God grows his church. Uh, We don't grow the church. Uh, But we have a part in it, and we have a part in its growth. And again, we do the best we can, and we seek to notch up our own ministry and the ministry of our church every year, uh, make it a little bit better, a little bit uh, more able to uh, meet the needs of people. Uh, But uh, I think we also have to realize that uh, we can only do what we can do. And uh, God has placed us here for this time in this place, hmm. and it's God's church. So we have to rest in that. I remember years ago there was a pastor that always talked about the uh, faith, rest, life. And I think that's where a lot of pastors have to be. We have to have faith that this is God's church. He's called us to this place for this time and uh, rest in that. And if we can do that spiritually, and if we can, you know, have someone else that we can express our hurt and pain and grief to, I think that'll go a long way to helping. Hmm.
0: That's a really good set of words there. I I can think through some of the dark valleys of my uh, mm-hmm. ministry, and it was the more I talked about it, the healthier I got. And as you said, um my wife doesn't need to hear all of that <laughs> because uh, she's got to attend here as well. She, and you know I, could, I get over things quicker than she does, uh, much like I would uh, not get over things as quick uh, as she would if somebody hurt her feelings. So I think that's just natural. Now, there's, a, there's one type of pain that you feel when people leave. There's another type of pain you feel when the wrong people stay. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. You refer to a church bully. Uh, maybe somebody that uh, makes your life miserable. Uh, What type of person is that, and how do we neutralize them?
1: Bullies exist uh, everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, we've been hearing a lot about uh, the whole issue of bullies in in schools and uh, Mm -hmm. encouraging parents to work with their children and the administration to (laughs) eliminate bullies. Uh, bullies exist in larger churches too, but uh, typically in a larger church, they don't have as much influence or as much power. But there's a tendency in the smaller solo pastor church for really strong uh, lay persons uh, to gain a foothold of control, and um, you know they can express that control in a number of different ways. Uh, sometimes a um, uh, a bully will uh, seek to influence the pastor and people, maybe because of their level of financial giving. If if people know someone uh, gives quite a bit of money, mm-hmm. uh, they can threaten to withhold that money. That would be a, a type of bullying. Um, another type would be uh, a person who demands control. Uh, uh, I I cite one story in the book about a uh, young pastor who became a solo pastor. Uh, and uh, an older, more powerful man in the church met him for lunch and said, uh, you know, the past pastor always ran his sermons, uh, his sermon topics by me before he preached them. And I want you to do the same. <laughs> so, you know, here. Here's a highly controlling person who wants to approve the pastor's sermons uh, before the pastor preaches them. Uh, um, you know, other uh, other other bullies uh, control things by uh, screaming, by yelling, by getting upset and walking out the door and s- slamming the door. I um, one of the pastors I talked to told me a story about that. How they were in a uh, a church business meeting and this man who had all the power stood up and yelled at the pastor and walked past the pastor to the front door and walked out of the room and, or the, the front door of the room and, and slammed the door.
0: Oh
1: my. You know, the, these are just actions of bullies. Um, uh, sometimes it can appear more spiritual. Hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes a person Uh, can control things by spiritualizing everything, you know, and they'll say something Mm -hmm. in a meeting like, well, pastor, you know, I've been praying about it and the Lord just isn't telling me it's the right thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) And if they're uh, highly respected and have have been in the church for years before you probably as a pastor, you know, a lot of people will be controlled by that. And uh, yeah, so you know, there's different ways that uh, uh, people will end up gaining control, uh, and it's uh, sometimes I want to I want to make this clear. Sometimes these people are not evil or bad people. Sometimes in um, the solo pastor church, if it wasn't for say a, a strong family, one strong family in the church, that church might have closed its doors years ago, mm-hmm. and, and maybe that one strong family. Uh, because of their commitment to Christ in the church, they're the reason the church survived. Mm -hmm. And now has a chance to thrive maybe under your leadership, but they they control everything. You know, they have one of their members is on the finance committee. One of their members is on the deacons. One of their members is an elder. One of their members is a head of the women's group, you know. Mm -hmm. And so their tentacles, so to speak, are out there in every ministry. And they don't even realize the extent of control uh, that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, the pastor, can see it. And and so they're controlling, but not in a mean way. Uh, but then there are those bullies who are are mean too. So, but these these are realities in the solo pastor church. They're there.
0: So you know, you mentioned some of these uh, these bullies. Sometimes they end up on the elder board. And you know, if somebody gets on the elder board because a they give a lot of money, or b because they run a, a large company, and so we assume, well, they're going to have great leadership. They're not always the most spiritual person. Sometimes a person gets on the board because they're overly spiritual, but they can't lead themselves out of a paper sack. Right. So you know, you find that they're the ones that are are always playing the spirituality card, but don't really have any kind of you know, uh, proverb sense. Uh, I guess here's my question. I have seen solo pastors that interact with those type of personalities, not even just solo pastors. And so they swing the opposite direction. They either go hardcore with their own version of control or hardcore with their own version of spirituality. Uh, how do you live in the balance there? Because leadership is so nuanced. It's not just a, uh, a science, it's an art. There's moments to, to demonstrate some visionary leadership and other times to be more pastoral. How did you walk through that? How do you coach pastors to walk through that, knowing which tool to use out of the toolbox?
1: I think really you have to do both and. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you lead from the stage, you lead from the pulpit uh, through your preaching and exegesis of the Word of God, but you don't neglect to also lead through breakfasts and lunches and coffee times with the leaders of the church. Mm. One of the dangers for the solo pastor is if you have a bully in the church or a highly controlling person, uh, sometimes we tend to uh, drift away from that particular person or that particular uh, family. Uh, Sometimes it's because we, it's painful to be around them. Uh, and so if we, if, if we have new people coming into the church, we'll drift towards the new people because the new people are, are exciting, they're fresh, and uh, it's, it's normal that when a new person comes into a church and they come under your leadership, they then respect you, they trust you, they follow you in your vision and your sense of where the church ought to go. Uh, but people who have been there prior to you, which is typical of the church uh, bully type of person, uh, they don't always uh, want to follow you. And so what we do is we drift away from the controlling person and we drift towards the people who will affirm us. Hmm. Now, that's a danger. And what we have to do is make sure that we embrace uh, the, the the bully more. Um uh, someone years ago said, you know, uh, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. <laughs> I can't remember.
0: Who said uh, that. That'd be the godfather. But,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you have a person who is a highly controlling person. Uh, I think what you have to do is you have to meet with that person on a regular basis, have coffee with them. uh ask them a lot of questions that will guide them towards the direction you want to see the church go. Um, So uh, for instance, in one of the stories I tell in the book, uh, uh, a solo pastor came, uh, was a new pastor at a church and uh, one of uh, his deacons, came up to him and said, well, pastor, when are you gonna mow the lawn? <laughs> and, uh, um, and this deacon was uh, a powerful person in the church and uh, he was basically saying that a pastor, it's your job to mow the church lawn. Well, how do you deal with that? Well, what the pastor did was ask him a question and he asked him this question. And by the way, for your listeners, this is a great question to put in your, your, uh, uh, your toolbox. <laughs> he asked him, is that what you called me to do? Mm. Uh, and according to the, the person I heard the story from, that deacon was stunned. He had never in the history of his time in church been asked, Is that what you called the pastor to do, mow the lawn?" Well, that led to conversation, you know, um, what is the pastor's role? What is the pastor's job? Now, frankly, in a lot of older churches uh, who have solo pastors, they've either forgotten what the biblical purpose of the pastor is, or they just never thought about it. Hmm. And so, I think one of the ways you you work with a bully, uh, at least to attempt to work with them, is you meet with them, you have coffee with them, you have conversation with them, you ask them questions, you ask them, uh, well, uh, well, Bob, uh, where do you see our church being in the next five years? I'd really like to know. And then... Uh, you know, maybe they've never thought about that. Or uh, where, Bob? Well, Bob, if we don't grow a little bit, how are we going to stay uh, financially solvent? Have you thought about that and what, what you're thinking? And, um, well, Bob, what do you really see my job being as the pastor? What do you see me doing? And, and let Bob express that. And then when they're done you say well bob that's interesting would you mind if i take a few minutes to share with you what i think my job is mm. <laughs> and so you enter into these conversations now they're not going to change overnight but i think if if we don't run from them if we talk to them and we can guide them slowly uh in a new direction uh now if if we find that the bully is just too stubborn and uh, is not willing to listen. Uh, then I think we just have to be firm and confident and say, "Well, Bob, uh, I know you think it's the pastor's job to mow the lawn, but I just don't see it that way. And I think you know I'm not going to do it, Bob. So you need to find another way to get the lawn mowed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, uh, we have to stand firm." You know, but I I, I think um, we have to do that in love and grace. But uh, we have to be confident in what our calling is, and and say this: I'm not going to do that. So uh, the story I mentioned about the older man asking the pastor to clear his sermon titles, mm-hmm. <laughs> the pastor there, what he did was he he just held firm and listened and said, well. Um, You know, I understand you did that with the previous pastor, but uh, I feel like, you know, God guides me in what I should preach about. And so I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pass my sermon topics past you, you know, and that was it. You know, I'm just not going to do it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Uh, that's that's so good. I mean, a lot of this is just emotional intelligence and. You know, it takes a while to earn the chips with some people that you have to spend once in a while, uh, which makes leadership so nuanced. So, one of the limits and struggles that all churches have, especially those with solo pastors, is resources and volunteers. You know, what's the best way that when you're in such really tight constraints. Maybe you've only got a few volunteers and they seem to do everything, or you only have a limited budget that you can use. What's the best way to really utilize your resources?
1: You have to set priorities. Um, I think you have to uh, determine, uh, well, it, I would say you have to look at the church, uh, you know, seriously, what condition are we in? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does our future hold? Uh, you know, I, I recommend that a church look back about five or ten years at the maximum, and what is our direction? What has been the history? Are we declining? Are we plateaued? Are we growing a little? What is what's going on? Uh, if you know, whatever's happened in the last ten years is a real predictor of where the church is going. Mm. So. Uh, if we continue in the same pathway that we've been in the last five or 10 years, where is this likely to take us? And so I think that's the first step, you know, we got to, um, analyze where we are, where we're going, and we have to honestly accept that, you know, acknowledge, uh, where we're at. Hmm. And then I think we have to, uh, look at the community we're in, who are the people in our community? Who don't know christ uh what are their hurts their needs their issues uh how can we help you know god put us in this community for now uh so how can we perhaps uh begin to care for people in our community who aren't believers and how can we minister to them and so i think then you have to compare those two things what are our resources who do we have uh you know what are the needs in the community and where could those two things kind of meld together uh that we could attend to uh minister Hmm. um and that might call for some hard decisions uh that we have to reallocate our resources in different directions uh to different ministries um i recommend that you don't typically uh, cancel ministries, although sometimes you do, hmm. but I think it's better to add something new. And if you have an older ministry, you maybe move resources away from the older ministry. You keep the older ministry, but you move the resources away and uh, maybe just let it die a, a slow death on its own. Uh, but you resource new ministries. It always takes new uh, new units. The, The old church growth principle said uh, it takes new units for new growth. And what that meant was um, in a church as it is right now, if new people wanted to come, they would be coming. Uh, If the programming a church has right now uh, was attractive to new people, new people would already be there. Well, obviously maybe they're not. Hmm. So, uh, if new people aren't attracted to what we're doing right now uh, or outreach efforts and things like that, what makes us think in three years that we don't do anything new Hmm. that all of a sudden new people will just be coming? Well, they won't, Mm -hmm. they won't. Um, And so what that means is uh, you do, you start a, a new ministry for new people. So that's where we've got to exegete our community and find out what are the hurts and the pains and the struggles of non-Christian people in the community. Mm -hmm. How could we begin to minister to that? And as we start new ministries that focus on real needs in the community, then new people start coming. And now we have an opportunity to speak the gospel to them and to see them believing in Christ and perhaps becoming a part uh, of our church. but it, it does call for us to take a real serious look at our church as it is and the community and then see how we could reallocate whatever resources we have towards some new ministries that will reach out to some new people.
0: That's so good. Gary, this has been so helpful. I mean, such great stuff, whether you're a solo pastor or have a multi-member staff. Uh, what You've mentioned so many great things from how to deal with... Leaders to resources to volunteers to the community, what is one action step that a solo pastor in particular uh, could take to faithfully lead in their current season of ministry?
1: Oh wow, I could think of lots of things uh, uh they could do, but i I would say um, you know just building on what i said i would uh, I would take a serious look um at the church over the last decade, um, you know, look at uh, what's been happening with the uh, baptisms, what's been happening with the uh, the giving, what's been happening with the uh, attendance of the church. Uh, get a good handle uh, on what's been happening over the last decade. And then project that out another ten years. Hmm. Um, if we if we continue the same way we've been going for the last decade, where is that going to take us? Hmm. And sit down with your leaders, your elders, deacons, your session, whatever your your church uh, leadership uh, board uh, is, and uh, have a serious conversation. Uh, everything begins by a- acknowledging where we're at mm. and and then beginning to think about you know where we need to go. you know uh, uh when it comes to uh, issues of recovery, uh, you know let's say a person who is uh, an alcoholic uh, they really don't start to recover till they admit that they're an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I think for many churches, they really don't start to thrive until they admit where they are. Mm. Uh, They've got to get their head out of the proverbial sand, take a serious look of what's been happening in the last decade, project that out 10 years ahead, and then uh, sit down and have a serious conversation. If we don't do something different, Uh, where are we going to be in 10 years? And do we want to be there? Mm. And does God want us to be there? Uh, You know, God's entrusted this church to us as his stewards. Uh, He's the leader, but we're stewards of uh, the gospel for him here Mm. in this place. And uh, what do we need to do to be a healthier, vibrant, thriving church in the next decade? Uh, I think just starting that conversation is important. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's obviously a lot more that's going to have to happen uh, than just conversation. But a lot of times in solo pastor churches, the leaders really haven't seriously looked at the past and thought about the future. And so that's where I would start Mm -hmm. and start the conversation.
0: That's so good. Well, the book is called The Solo Pastor by Baker Books. Gary, this is your 27th book, I can't even imagine. So well done, and thank you for your years of ministry and uh, support for pastors through uh, your time teaching at Talbot, your time working with Church Growth Institutes. Would you just tell everybody where they can get a copy of the Solo
1: Pastor? Sure. It's available uh, through Baker Books. Uh, it's also available on AmazonBooks.com. Uh, uh, that would probably be the two easiest places. If there are still some Christian bookstores in your community, I'm sure you can get it from them too. But uh, as we know, uh, it seems like uh, most things now are available online. So that's, that's where I would go.
0: That's great. Well, thank you for your time.
1: Yeah, if anybody wants to connect with me, they can go to my website, uh, which is churchgrowthnetwork.com. And uh, they can connect with me through that. Or if they have any of my books, all my contact information is in the back of the book.
0: That's perfect. Gary, this has been a blessing to me and I know to many of our listeners. So thank you so much for your time and wish you the best with the book and hope a lot of people pick it up. Thank you, Rusty. It's been great to be with you. Well, thanks so much, Gary. We're so grateful for what you had to share uh, with our audience. And you can certainly grab his book, uh, which will be a valuable resource for you, especially those of you who are pastors right now. Next week, we have a very fascinating conversation with a a friend of mine that has become a friend of so many because he has used his burnout and his pain to create a safe haven for those who are walking through burnout and pain and something he calls the refuge. Uh, The Refuge is a place for leaders to go and recharge through fly fishing. Uh, It's now expanded to be a lot more than just fly fishing, but that's kind of how it all began. And there's a secret sauce behind it all I think you're all going to want to know. Next week, I interview Brian Carpenter, and I know you're going to love it. So thanks so much for listening. As always, make sure you share this with a friend, subscribe to the podcast, and as always, keep it simple. As we mentioned at the top of the podcast, our friends at Belay are offering a free copy of their resource, Four Costly Financial Mistakes for Churches, exclusively to our podcast listeners today. Belay's modern church staffing solutions have been helping busy church leaders delegate important financial details for over a decade. Their fractional U.S.-based contractors provide accounting and virtual assistant services to level up your church through the power of delegation. Just text Rusty, that's R-U-S-T-Y, to 55123 to claim this exclusive offer and get back to growing your church with Belay. That's Rusty, R-U-S-T-Y, to 55123.